So we're in the second week of a series on seven false prophets that the church faces in all times and all places. And um, what I'm trying to do is help the church understand that there are people who, who uh, will come into the church, and it could be any church, and seek to, to draw to themselves something that, that feeds them only, right? That's what false prophets do. They, they feed themselves only. They want what they want for themselves, and they'll use the church to do it. Last week, we talked about three of the first seven false prophets in all the times and all places. The church will face these people forever until Jesus comes back. It's just part of the life. We talked last week about the heretic, the heretic uh, who, uh, who will intentionally teach false teachings, false doctrine, to turn people away from Christ, of all things, to turn the church away from Christ. People will actually do that. We talked about this charlatan, a fraud who's only interested in themselves and what they can gain for themselves. Personally, these are selfish people. They want for themselves. We talked about the false prophet who lies, saying they have a new message from God in order to take God's glory for themselves instead of giving God the glory instead. The church has always faced these false leaders, but today they seem to be even more prevalent in our culture than ever before. They take advantage of today's non-judgmental attitude. You know, in our culture today, in America today, there's this attitude that, that we can't judge anything. You can't make any discriminatory kind of a, of a decision about any idea or thought or what a person believes or a worldview. See, we're living in a time when all ideas have merit, no matter how bad they are or how great they are. That doesn't matter. Every idea that everybody has has merit, and nobody can disagree with anything. You simply have to be noncommittal. Something else that's helping false prophets today is the loss of our nation's Christian uh, worldview or Christian foundation. Uh, it used to be that Christianity was the overwhelming, uh, the primary religion in America, particularly evangelical Christianity. But that seems to diminish a little bit more every 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 year, kind of like snow melting at the end of winter. Our Christian foundation is slowly melting away and diminishing every year, it seems like. And these false prophets are taking advantage of all these different factors and aspects. These seven false prophets I've been talking about are all described by the Bible. They're all right here in the Scripture. So they've been in the church history from the very beginning. They're found in the churches today, and they're doing great damage to the body of Christ. If you have your outline ready, the fourth false prophet I want to talk about today that the church faces today is the fourth one, is the abuser. The abuser. Go with me to 2 Peter chapter 2 when you find verse 10. Okay, find verse 10 when you get there. 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 10. It says this. Peter writes to the church. He says, This is especially true of those who follow the corrupt desire, the sinful nature, and despise authority. Bold and arrogant, these men are not afraid to slander celestial beings, yet even angels, although they are stronger and more powerful, do not bring slanderous accusations against such beings in the presence of the Lord. But these men blaspheme in matters they do not understand. They are like brute beasts, creatures of instinct born only to be caught and destroyed. And like these, they too will perish. They will be paid back with harm for the harm they've done. Their idea of pleasure is to carouse in broad daylight. They are blots and blemishes reveling in their pleasures while they feast with you. With their eyes full of adultery, they never stop sinning. They seduce the unstable. They are experts in greed and a cursed brood. 
They've left the straight way and wandered off to follow the way of Balaam, son of Beor, who loved the wages of wickedness. Let's pray together. Father, this morning we seek your guidance, your wisdom. We seek your leading, Father. Not the leading of men, no matter how good they might be, but especially leading against people who would seek to destroy your church, who would damage your church, who would hurt your people. We seek, Father, for you to guide us away from those kind of people. No matter who they are, we pray, God, that you would protect us and put a hedge around your church, Lord, so that the church might thrive and do well and grow healthy and, and, and reach out in the world Lord, with the gospel. And, Father, these people are doing great damage, and we know that you, Father, will set things right, that someday that you will turn around and you will punish them for their misdeeds, for their attacks against your church. So we leave them in your hands, and we just ask for you to give us wisdom and discernment when we're dealing with them, Lord. And, Father, I pray you do that for me, that you would help me to be uh, in your will, doing your will, following you, listening to you, and, and being wary of those who would seek to distract the church or turn it off path. Give me that wisdom, too, Father. Help me to see what you'd have me see and do what you have me do and say what you have me say. For your glory, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This fourth false prophet the church faces in all times and in all places is the abuser. This person misuses Christians for their own gratification. They will use people, then callously toss them aside. This person is often a tyrant by nature. Angry within, and only does it come out later after you get to know them. In verse 10, Peter said, they follow the corrupt desires of sinful nature and despise authority. He said that they are bold and arrogant. They're used to getting their way. They're used to getting away with their schemes and desires and abuses. How do these people, how do they gain position in the church? Well, they don't reveal themselves at first. Not for a while. But eventually the truth of what they really are is seen in their behavior. Eventually it does come out, and they, they reveal who they are. This person sometimes will sexually abuse people in the church, children, even adults. We're seeing that happen. Look again at verse 14 and 15. Peter says, With their eyes full of adultery, and they never stop sinning, they seduce the unstable. They are experts in greed and accursed brood. They have left the straight way and wandered off to follow the way of Balaam, son of Beor, who loved the wages of wickedness. Balaam of Beor got... The people of God involved in sexual sin, he enticed them into that, and they, they joined him in their cultural sin, their worship of the false gods through sex and orgies and things like that. Over the last few years, I and mean, probably longer really than a few years, we've heard a lot about sexual abuse in the Roman Catholic Church. A lot. The abuse of children in the Roman Catholic Church has been going on for a very, very long time since before I was born. But sexual abuse can happen in any church and in any denomination. It doesn't matter. It's not just a Roman Catholic problem. It is also a Southern Baptist problem. The Houston Chronicle in February 2019 of this year, 2019, published a six-part series on sexual abuse in the Southern Baptist Convention. You can read it online. They reported that since 1998, over 380 church leaders have faced allegations of sexual misconduct in their churches with at least 700 victims, at least. Yeah. You haven't heard much about that, have you? But it's the truth. 
They were pastors, music ministers, youth pastors, Sunday school teachers, deacons, church volunteers. So they're, they're, they were all different kinds of people. It wasn't just pastors or just ministers. It was also people in the body. They came in to the churches, and they had their way. They abused people. About 220 of them have been convicted. Many of them are in prison serving time. Some took plea deals. Others have their cases are still pending in court, waiting to be heard. I don't really talk about that with any... I really don't want to talk about that. But we have to be careful. We have to be watchful. We have to be careful who we, who we trust our children with and who we trust our youth with and who we trust each other with, who, who, lead, who leads. And, and we have to watch out for that. And Jude, chapter, or Jude verse 4 says to watch out for abusers. It says this, For certain men whose condemnation was written about long ago secretly slipped in among you, they are godless men who change the grace of our God into a license for immorality, and they deny Jesus Christ, our only sovereign and Lord. You see, the, the real leader of the church is not the pastor. The real leader of the church is God, Jesus Christ. He's our sovereign. That means he's our ruler. He's our king. He's the highest authority. And even pastors are sitting under God's rule, under Christ's sovereignty. And we should realize that. The abuser sees the church as a place of opportunity for doing what they want to do to whoever they want to do it to. We have to be careful about these things. Churches are learning this the hard way. They take advantage of their pastoral role and their authority, wherever, whoever they are and whatever role they have. They take abuse of that authority and they misuse it for the, to, to abuse the very people they're supposed to protect. Peter said God will punish them. Look again at verse 13. He said they will be paid back with harm for the harm they have done. Now, if you've ever been abused by someone in the church, a pastor or, or, or whatever church leader, if you've ever been abused, that's probably not going to comfort you very much, is it? But I know that God wants to comfort you, and I know that he wants to, to help you carry that burden if you have that. And may God please never let us have that happen here. Amen? Amen. Watch out for the abuser. Be careful of that person. And number five, watch out for the divider. Number five, the divider. Watch out for them too. The divider comes into the church in a variety of ways. Sometimes they come in physically as a person, as a pastor or a, a Bible teacher or, or whoever. They come in physically. Sometimes they come in through books. You read a book and you kind of like it and it sounds pretty good and you pass it on. And, but in there are some teachings that divides people up. Podcasts are very popular today. There's all kinds of podcasts out there. Some are good, some are bad. Blogs, I read blogs. I don't agree with a lot of blogs that I read sometimes, so I don't read them anymore if, I don't, if they're really that bad. Televangelists used to be a really bad way for a divider to come into the church. Televangelists would say something in co total contrary to what the doctrine of the Bible, the Bible would say. Totally in, contra in, in contrast to what you would hear in the pulpit on Sunday morning. Why? Because they're, they're trying to pay that bill and they want to make money. The televangelist was, was, uh, is not quite as powerful as they used to be, but we still have to watch out. This is, these are different streams how dividers come into the church and take advantage of the church. This person always seems to tear up the unity of the body of Christ. There's always some sort of controversy going on around them. Go to Jude. Jude is right before Revelation. <clears throat> and when you get there, find verse 17. Isn't it, isn't it something how 
the Bible talks about all these different people, warns us about these people, these, these abusers, these false prophets. Jude, there's only one chapter in Jude, so verse 17, he says, But dear, dear friends, remember what the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ foretold. They said to you, in the last times there will be scoffers who will follow their own ungodly desires. These are the men who will divide you, who follow mere, inat- mere natural instincts and do not have the Spirit. In your Bible, is Spirit spelled with a capital S? Say amen. It means, capital S means the Holy Spirit. And they do not have the Holy Spirit. Jesus' desire for his church was that we would be unified and we were to be unified by our faith in him, by our new life in Jesus Christ. That was to bring us together. He brings us together. Amen? Yeah, he's to hold us together, not divide us. That's what he always wanted for the church. In John 17, verse 20, he's praying before he goes to the cross. He says, my prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. He's talking about us. That people would believe in our message, not so much in us, but in the message of the gospel that we're supposed to share. That all of them may be one Father, just as you and I are, just as you are in me and I am in you. Jesus said, I, the Father, and the Spirit are one, and I want the church to be one, the body of Christ to be one. And yet we see these people coming in and they divide the body of Christ. They divide churches, they divide churches from churches, and set each other against each other. In order for the church to be effective in proclaiming the gospel and to make disciples, the church must be unified. We must be glued to Christ. We must be fixated on his goal, and that is to make disciples, to share the gospel. That's why Paul wrote this in Romans 16, verse 17, 18. He says, I urge you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions and put obstacles in your way that are contrary to the teachings you've learned. Keep away from them, for such people are not serving our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own appetites. But when you ever read that somebody's feeding their own appetites, look out, right? By smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the minds of naive people. These people, these dividers, they don't just come in and kind of bulldoze through. They slip in and they plant little seeds and divide people. Today we're seeing people divide the church and in the Southern Baptist Southern Baptist Convention, they divide churches by doctrine. They pit Christians against each other by promoting their own preferred views and beliefs. It's okay to have your own beliefs as long as they're in the Bible. And there are different different thoughts and ideas about certain things in the Bible that's allowed. Like, like the end times, there is no defined doctrine for the end of times. So if you're premillennialist, that's okay. I'm not premillennialist, but that's okay. We have our beliefs, and we ought to be getting them from the Scriptures. And I see both of those ways in the Scriptures. But that's not the way they do it. They plant these ideas, and they divide people. Well, you're not quite, you're not in line with Christ because you don't agree with me. Well, that's, that's a divider. And they pit each other, pit Christians against each other, promoting their ideas and beliefs. They divide by emphasizing work over calling Watch out for that when they say, you know, we need to be doing X more. But is that our calling? Is that your calling to do this ministry? Is that your calling to be a part of it? I don't know. They love celebrity, and they aren't too eager to be humble. 
They don't like humility so much. They divide churches and Christians by promoting popular leaders more than they do Jesus Christ. The divider is a great threat to the church in America. A tremendous threat to the church today. The sixth prophet the church needs to face, that the church faces today and needs to watch out for is the speculator. The speculator. Go with me to Titus now. Go back to Titus. Titus chapter 3, verse 9. First, second Timothy, Titus in Hebrews. Titus 3, verse 9. Paul writes here, he says, But avoid foolish controversies and genealogies and arguments and quarrels about the law, because these are unprofitable and useless. Warn a divisive person once, then warn him twice. And after that, have nothing to do with him. You may be sure that such a man is warped and sinful. He is, sin is self-condemned. Avoid foolish controversies and genealogies and arguments and quarrels about the law. The speculator. The speculator will come up with some new idea or concept and sells books or Bible studies. Something novel. Something that seems unique. Something the Bible might not totally define all the way but talks about. And they pull it out of the scripture. I'll give you a great example of this. Paul talks about the baptism of the dead. Well, guess what? Joseph Smith pulled that out and he put that into Mormon theology. And he said, okay, the church is supposed to baptize people in the name of somebody who's dead so that when they are, so that they're, they're in the next life, someone will go to them and, and share the gospel with them and they then can be saved in the next life. And then they can get into heaven. Well, that's contrary to the Bible, and Paul doesn't go any further than it talks about it. He just barely mentions, what about those who are baptized for the dead? Which is something I, I don't really know all about. I just know that it was something that was going on in the early church, and it stopped. It died out. But you're not offered salvation in the next life. The Bible is totally contrary to that. It says you, you only have this life to make the decision. You have to decide now, today. If people bring in these ideas, these, they pull these ideas out of the scriptures and they, they blow them up. Numerology used to be very popular. Remember that a few years ago, 20 years ago maybe? So-called experts were finding codes through the various numbers used throughout the Bible, especially in Psalms and in the Old Testament. Now it's true, some numbers are significant because they're used in relationship to God and his character, his nature, and the way that he operates and thinks and does, his will. But we ought to be careful not to read something that in the into the Bible that isn't there. We, we need to accept what the Bible plainly says and teaches, and where it isn't so clear, we have to accept the fact that, that God won't reveal everything to us about himself or his will in this life. That he's going to save some of that to teach us in eternity. The church has experienced many speculators throughout its history, many speculators especially when it comes to the end times. When someone gives a date, watch out. Watch out for that person because that person doesn't know what they're talking about. When they talk about the sign, some sign about the end of the times is about to happen, this sign is happening, be careful. Be very careful about following that person. In Matthew 24, verse 37, Jesus said, No one knows about the hour or the day, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. By the way, he said that on earth. So he's in heaven right now. He's at the right hand of the God, of God the Father. I think he knows. But I think at that moment, 
and on earth when he was talking to his apostles. I think he self-limited his knowledge so that he could say that. In his humanity, he didn't want to know everything or didn't know everything, but I think he does today because he is God. He's part of the Godhead. Today, we're seeing more and more celebrity pastors publishing books based on what? On their sermon series. I should go publish a book, shouldn't I? Called The Seven False Prophets that the church faces every day. And I'm sure someone's already written 10 of them anyway, so I guess I don't need to worry about it. They use marketing gimmicks to sell their books. When all those books really are is their sermon, sermon, sermon series that's been fleshed out into seven chapters or whatever. And many times they're not even written by the pastor. They're written by a ghostwriter who does that for them, who works with them and fleshes that out. I hate to say this too. We're also seeing more and more Bible studies based on movies that are being sold to the church. These studies are for groups. They, they go along with a, with a movie that's been produced, a Christian movie. And many of these studies come in very expensive curriculums. They come in sets with a DVD and with a CD and a leader pack and a study book. And they're expensive. This is what I don't like about Christianity in America today. Christianity in America today has been turned into an industry. It's big business. And in my opinion, that diminishes our ability and our impact with the gospel. Because we're not flashy enough. We don't look like Tom Cruise or, or whoever else, you know. We don't look like any of those people because they got makeup artists and, and uh, cosmetic doctors to fix them up. Brad Pitt. And, uh, just look at a, any actor or actress that's famous. We don't look like those people. And so it, it diminishes what we believe, what we're trying to, to get out there, our message. We're trying to get that message out, the gospel. And people don't really care because it just seems so commercial. The church must always be vigilant. Always be vigilant. Satan is at work against the church. He's at war against the church because the church belongs to Jesus and he hates Jesus. So he, he strives to drive the culture to hate Jesus too. And Satan will use any and all of these false props he can to attack the church. Paul gave the church a great warning 2,000 years ago about false prophets. And although he said it to Timothy, we need to hear it too. In 2 Timothy 3, verse 1 and 2, this is what Paul said. But mark this, there will be terrible times in, in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful and unholy. Man, are we in those last days? Jesus said that we are. That we are in the last days, and we've been in the last days. And it does seem like people are becoming more and more like that. So how can we discern who is a false prophet and who isn't? Last week, I talked about one from Deuteronomy 18, verse 21 to 22. That's where God told Moses that if someone gives you a message from me and it doesn't come true or it's not right, then you, that person is a false prophet. Ignore them. Deuteronomy 18, verse 21 and 22. But the Bible gives us another way to make sure that we know who's false and who's not. It's found in Acts, verse 17, verse 11. Now the Bereans were a more noble character than the Thessalonians, for they received the message with great eagerness and examined the Scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. They took what Paul was teaching and preaching about, compared it to the Bible to God's Word, and they said, okay, we can trust him. Because he's talking true about the Bible. He's staying true 
to scriptures. He's doing what God said to do as a, as a pastor and a preacher, an evangelist. So we take what we hear and we compare it to the Bible and we say, okay, is, does that fit? Does that work? Is it what he's saying? Is it lining up with the Bible? And that's how we know that. Whether it's a pastor or another minister or a Sunday school teacher or a deacon or whoever, BBS leader, whatever, are they teaching what the Bible teaches? That's the key. So if a person is abusive, don't follow them. If a person is a divider, don't accept them. If a person is a speculator, has speculative ideas and tries to promote things, don't buy into them. If a person teaches something that's contrary to what the Bible teaches, reject them. If a person seeks to benefit only themselves, watch out for them. If a person says they have a new revelation from God and it doesn't come true, don't listen to them. You don't have to. 2 John verse one, chapter, or chapter 1, verse 7 Listen to what he said. Many deceivers who do not have, no, I'm sorry, many deceivers who don't, do not acknowledge Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh have gone out into the world. So out in the world, there are all kinds of deceivers. Any such person is the deceiver and antichrist. Watch out that you do not lose what you've worked for, but that you may be rewarded fully. Don't let go of your faith in Christ. Hold on to him. Amen? Anyone who runs ahead and does not continue the teaching of Christ does not have God. Why would you, right? We don't want to run ahead. We don't want to lag behind. We want to walk step by step right with Jesus. Yeah. Whoever continues in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not take him into your house or welcome him. So see, we don't have to accept abusers or speculators or dividers or heretics or charlatans or false prophets. We don't have to Accept those people when they come in. But we do have to discern who they are. And we have to be careful. Our invitation song today is the nail-scarred hand. What other hand do we need other than Jesus, right? He's got the hand that saves. He's the nail-scarred hand. No one can take his place. No one can, can overthrow him. No one can, can do what he's done for us. Take his nail-scarred hand. If you're seeking someone to believe in, someone who won't abuse you or use you, I would say to you, give your life to Jesus Christ. He'll only bless you. Amen? Amen. And if you're looking for a church home to be a part of, to get connected to, to serve in and to strengthen and be part of being and be strengthened by those around you, I would say come forward today and talk to me about joy to the church. This is a great church to be a part of. And they'll love you. Let's stand. The nail-scarred hand. As we get ready to, to sing, I'll pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that in your hands are the scars of the cross. We thank you that the spear 